it really is my joy to be able to, um, to preach this morning. I know we say that every Sunday, but it really is a gift um, to us, I think, as preachers, to be able to have the privilege to speak into the church life and to ask God and to seek his heart for, for you as a people, as a congregation. And in this series that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 7, we've entered into this area of family life and relationships. And a few weeks ago, Anne uh, spoke wonderfully on the principles of marriage and how, uh, as a church, marriage is something that we value so highly and relationships within marriage between a husband and a wife were amazing, wonderful things that we learned from, from that a few weeks ago. So go to the YouTube channel or the podcast if you want to catch up on those sermons as we considered uh, marriage. Um, but I get the privilege this morning of speaking about singleness. And I speak um, knowing that this topic for the church uh, is something that we, just the church in general, has been, um, I think, taught in a way that has, um, I don't know, inadvertently sometimes diminished or made singleness or the, the times that we are single, times where we haven't really given help or suggested help in terms of how we're supposed to address those times. And I love the Bible because the Bible is so plain. When we come to his word and we see the passages on singleness uh, and what it means to live as somebody who is unmarried, that we get the chance to hear God's heart for us. That his heart isn't preferentiated towards people who are married or people who uh, are, are less so towards people who are single, but we get the chance to hear God's heart to all of us in every season of our lives, whatever that may be. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7 today, so if you want to turn to your passages there, we're continuing our series on that. Um, but I want to just start with this fact, this real simple fact, that singleness is something that we will experience in life. Whether you have experienced singleness, whether you are right now experiencing singleness, or whether you will in the future experience singleness. And I know in our community here that we have people in all of those ranges of where singleness is are as part of our um, status, you could say, or relationship status right now. For me personally right now, um, I don't have a great experience with being single, if I'm really honest. Um, I um, met my, my wife, who's my wife now, um, about, goodness, I'm getting in trouble. Well, we got married 16 years ago, so, and I'm 41, so you can do the maths. Um, I've almost been married longer than I have been single. And for me, speaking on singleness, was, there was trepidation in me because I don't feel I have great experience in it. But all I know is that my children are single right now. So I had to go to them for the expert advice about what it means to be single. I went to my daughters and I said to them, um, if you were to be single like for the rest of your life from now on, um, what would it be like? I mean, what's, your, what's your first response? What's your gut response? So my two kids, my two daughters, first one said, Daddy, do I get to stay with you then? <laughs> and that broke my heart. And I said, yes, forever. You can stay with me forever till it's all good with me, Mum. But no, it's all good. It was all good. Um, the second thing that came up, and you, you may not be surprised, is, Daddy, will, will I be lonely? Loneliness. And I think when we think about singleness and we think about it, we, we often, we don't want to sugarcoat it. Well, there is a times in our lives where we will be alone. And when there's times where we feel like everyone else is pairing off, everyone else has somebody else, everyone has a family, but what about me? And our culture 
and the way in which we see life as, as a church family sometimes, we, we often, I'd say in my own, in my own self, we, we have an expectation that marriage is just the norm, that that is the place where we get to. It's like the next stepping stone of life. I was a child. I became an adolescent. I did my education. I met somebody. I did this. I did this. And it's almost like there's a stepping stone there. And if we're really true with, our, with, our, with how we see our culture and how our culture supports and how even churches support it, we see that actually that we're somehow, if we're not married, we are missing out. And there is part of our lives that is empty. And um, yes, we do highly value marriage. We do highly lift it up. We exalt it. We, we celebrate it with great um, you know, expression with celebration, and we have some weddings and all these things, and there's different parts of our lives that we do want to celebrate. But at the same time, there is a calling and a place for singleness. Um, let me just read, just so I can give a bit of context. Um, Ephesians 5, um, we, we read in Ephesians 5 the picture of what marriage is. We see marriage in Ephesians 5, and this is Paul writing in verse 22, that wives are, su- are to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we read in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it says in verse 31 of the same chapter, a man is to leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound. That's marriage. This mystery of marriage is profound. And I say it, that refers to Christ and the church. So we have this picture of marriage being this amazing picture of Christ and the church and how husbands are supposed to reflect what Jesus is and wives are supposed to reflect what the church is, responding to the love of God in that same way. But yet in our passage today, though the church and all society, we lift up marriage, we hold it up and we exalt it and we definitely want to support marriage and and we don't want great marriages in our churches, Paul in this passage today speaks specifically to people who are unmarried. He speaks specifically to singles, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 to 8. This is Paul speaking. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am. So Paul's saying, I wish all of you were as I am, and that's being single. Each of you has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Verse 8, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, we have to pause here for a second. We have to pause here because Paul, who wrote Ephesians 5, painting this picture of marriage as this, this institution, God-given institution, which reflects something of God's character and his love towards his church. This same Paul is also saying, remain single, just as I am. And I'm just wondering, did Paul have some kind of burnt-out relationship with somebody? Was he kind of somehow had like this, like, oh, marriage is great, but then he is, his, heart, his, his high school sweetheart kind of broke his heart, and he had this kind of, oh, no, no, now marriage is horrible. I don't think so. I really don't believe that is what Paul is saying. We might see that in the passage that Paul is contradicting himself, but he is not. He is choosing to say with full confidence, full authority, that it is good to remain single. Now, for some of us, who are single, I can feel that landing in some really hurtful places or some really tender places for us. How should it be that this beautiful thing that God has created, marriage and family and children and sex 
and intimacy not be something that God intended for me if I'm single right now? And that place of pastoral heart, Paul wants to bring life and truth, and I want to bring that to you this morning. And I pray that you would keep checking in because so often we see singleness as not a gift, but as a crux or something that we're not given. And Paul wants to really bring something of the truth of the gospel that frees us to actually say, you know what? I can be single and it is okay. It is okay. And Paul found that out. In this passage in 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to read through verse 25 to 28, and this is the main passage that we're going to be um, running with this morning. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25 to 28, um, Paul is, again, specifically talking to the unmarried, the betrothed. And again, that word betrothed is really interesting. It says this in verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment. As one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy, I think that in the view of the, this, of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, it's very interesting. When we hear the word, even the word betrothed used in the Bible, the expectation, and the word betrothed basically means someone who is a virgin, someone who is unmarried, somebody who hasn't known sex uh, or hadn't experienced sex, somebody who uh, is both male and female. But the expectation, even the word betrothed, is that you're not married, but you are going to be married. And that's interesting because um, even in ancient culture, the culture of which Paul lived in, there was always an expectation that the normality of human and kind of cultural life was that a person would grow up and they would get married. That was just how it worked in normal society, that it was, you could say, less normal for somebody not to be married. And I think so often the society and the norms in which we live in both ours now in our culture also support that same narrative, don't they? That you see in Hollywood, that you are found to be complete once what? Once you found that one person, that one person, that one special person. And for us as a church, we need to be um, inviting not just society to inform our decisions and our thinking, but also allow the word of God and truth to be informing our decisions. So to this morning, I want to focus on three things to help us just think through the, the status of singleness. And the first thing is I want to just talk about the lie of singleness, that there is a lie that is being spoken over our lives about what it means to be single and how we can remain single. The second thing I want to do is talk about the truth of singleness. What does Jesus bring to people who are single and in that place in their lives? And thirdly, I want to bring us to a place where we can think about the mission of singleness. So the lie of singleness, the truth of singleness, and lastly, the mission of singleness. And I hope that will be helpful for us and that God would give us grace to, uh, to receive those things this morning. So firstly, I want to talk about singleness as a lie. Um, what is it that we have inherited from our culture or even from the subtle things in church that happen? And uh, if you Think back, and even now, singleness and chastity is, ex is expressed in the church in different ways. So one way we might see singleness as being expressed is in, in chastity. Um, some people choose to become nuns or monks, and they live a life of celibacy. They choose to deny themselves of sexual relationships, and they choose to live that way. And for many ways in the church, that has come up as a as tendency, maybe because some people have seen that as a holy way to live. I'm not sure if you've ever seen kind of the expression that some people think that if you were to deny yourself 
then somehow you've become more holy, more acceptable, more presented towards God. And the church teaching on that is somewhat been skewed because when we look at Genesis and we look at God's creation, from the very start of creation, God establishes human relationships between each other and specifically between a male and a female. Um, we are created in the image of God, are we not? The Bible says we are created, male and female, male and female who created us in his image. And that relationship in marriage is supposed to reflect something of who God has created us to be as relational beings, that we are established first in the Garden of Eden, the identity and the institution of marriage, that it is not good for man to be alone, but be united with his wife. And I love how that is who we first look at when we think about relationships. We look at God in his perfect um, relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. That God is a relational being, that he is somebody who's not just seeing that on his own, but for all eternity, he is somebody who is perfectly happy and intimate in his relationship with himself. And it might seem a bit weird when we think about it, but just think about it in those ways, how the Father honors the Son, the Son honors the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit honors Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and the Son both magnify and glorify the Father. And because we are created in that image, we too want to experience deep intimacy, a deep knowing of being known. That is who we are created to be. God has created a good thing in marriage for us to experience that. But one of the things I find that we do in churches, but also in society, is that we make the created thing the thing. Somehow marriage becomes this end goal that we seek, and if we get that, suddenly we've arrived, and therefore I can live my life to the full. And that is where we have to be really careful that if we place our identity and our belonging and our hopes and our dreams in this one person who will fulfill it all, then trust me that we will fail, that our lives will fall apart because that's not who ultimately we were created to be ultimately with. And ancient religions and cultures, they idolized marriage, family and children. Ultimately, if you didn't have children, your name and, your, and your, your status, I guess, would diminish because you have no one else to carry on your legacy. So in ancient culture, the whole idea of procreation and creating a family is to secure your family and your legacy for the future. So, so much was tied up into who we married and therefore our next stages of life. But surely, if marriage is the way in which we go to the next stage of life, then what about people who did not marry? And in culture, maybe we see that sometimes worked out in our lives where we see somebody who is, you know, much older and they're still single and we think, maybe we don't think this, but people will think, maybe why? Is something wrong? Could they not? This, this, and this. And we, we tend to judge and we tend to pull out um, our own, I don't know what the word is, our own uh, sometimes feelings of, oh, maybe there's something not quite right there. And I don't know if we judge that way, but we mustn't because in the church in Corinth, we find that those are the kind of things that people are facing the questions of, should I get married or not? And Paul, in his great kindness, gives them pastoral advice. But one of the things I want to say is that the lie of society is that unless you have somebody, unless you are with somebody, unless you are and with another person and leading to marriage, then somehow I'm less than what God has created me to be. And that's a really hard thing to receive, I know, because that is how we feel. 
That is how we feel. What about me? What about my situation? And what tends to happen that when we receive the lie that somehow we're not complete without another person, it leads to a greater lie. And that lie is that God is withholding a gift from me. Um, some of the songs this morning really touched my heart because it was just the things that we were expressing in our songs this morning was, Lord, I trust you. Lord, whatever may come, I'm trusting in you. But yet the lie that comes when we go to our relationships, when it really, really matters, is this, that we've taken um, the quest these questions, does God really care about me in my singleness? Does he really know how lonely I am? Why have I been left behind when all my other friends are getting married? Does he know actually what is best for me? Those are the kind of questions that I'm sure many of us during our times of singleness have asked. Why am I here right now? God, what are you doing? Where are you? And those questions, if we let them settle, if we let them kind of simmer away, they ultimately lead to these things. We question the essential things that we should trust in God wholeheartedly. They question his goodness. Is God really good? Does he really know what's good for me? They, they question our trust in him. Does he really have my life in his hands? Do I have to take it into my own hands to force these things to happen? And lastly, do we believe that he's working for our best, even in our seasons of singleness? And those are the fundamental things that happen in the Garden of Eden when um, Adam and Eve fell and sin entered the world. They questioned God's goodness. They questioned his trustworthiness. They questioned whether he, they had his best interest, whether he was withholding the best things for me in life. And we have to worry because those, those ways of thinking are devastating because they lead us away from the life that God has given to us, even in our, singles, in our seasons of singleness. So we think about the lie of singleness. We have to think about what the truth is of singleness. And the truth is this, and I love Paul because he's speaking pastorally. He says, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who is by the Lord's mercy trustworthy. I think in the present distress, it is good for a man to remain as he is. If you are bound to a wife, do not seek to be free. If you are free from a wife, do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And the betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Let those who marry have worldly, but yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Enching and I had a good chuckle this week about what that meant. Um, but... I will, uh, I'm going to get in trouble if I speak too much. Um, but it's interesting how Paul in this passage isn't saying, yep, marriage, good, singleness, oh well. Um, he's not saying that. He's saying marriage, good. If you're betrothed to get married, it is not a sin to get married. If you choose to be single, if you choose to be single and to live your life and now without that expectation, it is okay as well. And whether it is right or wrong, it's not a sin question. I just want us to hear that. It's not a simple thing to stay single. It's not a simple thing to be married. But Paul does give pastoral advice. And sometimes that's what we need in our relationships, isn't it? There's no right or wrong answer. But what we need is wise counsel to help us make those decisions that really matter in our lives. Um, but interestingly, Paul does talk about in this passage a present distress in the church. And like it or not, that there are times in life where it is 
not convenient to get married. And in Paul's time in Corinthian church, maybe this is some of the things we don't know exactly what the present distress was in the church at the time, but one of the things that we do know is that they did have a massive issue of sexual morality in their community and in their city. They had issues such as a man would be sleeping with his mother-in-law. How's that working out in the church? They had issues such as um, a perverse, pop, uh, perverse community around them which idolized sex and um, prostitution and their world was saturated with that. And you can imagine the people coming into the community, male and female, were affected or influenced by that culture. So Paul's pastoral advice potentially is that maybe it's not the best time to get married right now because you've got some things to sort out first. And that's why we have marriage counseling and why we have marriage preparation because what we want is marriages to succeed and to have the best footing when they start. But at the same time, Paul says something in this passage that is revolutionary. Think about the backdrop of everything I've been talking about right now is that marriage was expected. It was uh, essential, we could say, for the next stage of your life and your heritage and your history and your legacy. It was something that was just a norm. But Paul says here in this passage, with loving kindness as a pastor, it's okay not to be married. It is okay to remain single. With all that weight of history, society on pushing them towards this need to become married, Paul says, it's okay to remain as you are. Paul is bringing about a revolutionary idea of seeing our relationship status like no one else in any culture had ever spoken about before. Your marital status right now, whatever it is, is fine. No changes are required to improve your life, to make your life better, to make it fuller, that is not required. And I say this with as much kindness as I can because I know this is gonna land in some places which are very deep for some of us here. Your marital status does not determine your happiness. It does not determine whether you are good, whether you're bad, whether you're successful, whether you've reached the next stage of your life, whether you're progressing, whether you feel stuck. Your marital status does not influence any of those things because you are in Christ. And Christ has bought you with a price. And your life now belongs to Him. Your external circumstances now are not the thing that determines how successful your life will be or whether you are approved by, by society. It is your relationship with Christ that is now your ultimate fulfillment, that you are a child of God and that can never be taken away from you. Relationships, whether you are married, whether you are single right now, both are good gifts that God gives to you where you are, as you are, remaining as you are right now. You can remain as you are and not be pressured by the culture or the church or the aunties or the mum-in-laws <laughs> who want, sorry, the mums, who want your best interests at heart. And Paul's revolutionary idea here is that he is deprioritizing marriage from being the fulfillment of who you are as a human being. Can you just see that? He's deprioritizing it. You no longer need to find ultimate, you seek to find ultimate happiness in marriage or in a life partner. Does that mean marriage is a terrible thing? No, it's not. It is not. It's a glorious thing. But does it make singleness less of a place that we need to be? It does not either. 
Paul says, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. There is a sense that contentment, Christian contentment, proves that our lives are not counted or not valued simply by our associations or relationships anymore. They are proven by what Christ has done for you and I. And because of that, people like Paul were able to live full, complete, happy, fulfilled lives as a single person. And the person we follow, the person we give our lives to was a single 30-something-year-old man in Palestine, Jews, Israel, and lived a purposeful, fulfilled, complete life obeying his father till the end. And that is a life that God gives us whether we are married or single, but specifically for those who are single, I would say this is part of our great hope, that our hope is no longer based on relationships and statuses on this earth, but is deemed wonderful and wonderfully deep because of our relationship with the Father. So that is our truth, that freedom comes because we have Christ. Yet there is this sense that Paul wants to take us further than just that, than just giving us the principle that marriage and singleness is okay, both are fine, because he talks about singleness as a gift. And I don't know about you, has anybody had ever at Christmas time when you open your presents underneath the Christmas tree and you think, oh no, it's Auntie Anne again, what's she given me? What gift has the Lord bestowed on me today? More socks. Actually, I love socks because all my socks are getting holes in. I go through this anyway. Um, but having the gift of singleness is often we misinterpret or we misthink about what it means to have a gift. And maybe you're thinking of the gift of singleness or a gift of celibacy as something that is like a crux or like a bad pair of socks that you actually don't want that gift. Lord, it's for someone else. I want that man or that woman who's going to fulfill my dreams. She's going to be the one who's going to be that gift, which I really, really wanted, you know. That was what I was hoping for as my gift. But Lord, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, we sometimes see that gift of singleness, or we treat it as maybe this somehow superpower. Like we have this ability, like we've been shot with this special dart from God in heaven, and suddenly we lose all desire for companionship, and we lose all sexual urges, or we lose any sense of actually uh, that I need other people. And sometimes when we see or we perceive singleness, and that gift of singleness is that, we miss out exactly what God has deemed us to want to have. See, when we see that singleness as, as a gift is not necessarily something that's been given to us as a superpower, but it's been given to us as a season of life, however long that season may last, then we then choose to use that gift to our advantage. If we see singleness as a gift for this time, then we choose not to think about what next, what's next going to happen, if we're satisfied and content in the places where we are right now, then we can leverage what that is that singleness gives us to further the things of his kingdom. And Paul speaks generously about this in the next passage, which I'm sure we're going to speak about next week. He says that I want you to be free from anxieties, single people. I want you to be free. I want you, as an unmarried man or woman, to be anxious about the things of the Lord, to be anxious how to please the Lord. And he contrasts that with having actually to have to please your wife or your husband if you are married. See, what singleness buys for us, what singleness offers to us is freedom. Freedom in our decision-making, freedom in our, how we use our money and our, and, and our time and our energy. 
it's not found in fulfilling ourselves um, in our own selfish desires, but actually the freedom that Christ gives us now allows us to bless and to love other people. And this is always the way in which gifts in God's kingdom have always been talked about. Think about spiritual gifts. What are the purpose of spiritual gifts? When Paul uses the words in Romans, they're there to build up and encourage and bless the church. In the same way, the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage isn't just so that we stay in our little silos and take care of ourselves, but actually there are ways in which the gift now allows us to express our giving and our time and our energy and everything that we have in this season to use for leverage for his kingdom. And that freedom, Paul talks about in Galatians 5, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. So I'm praying in your marriages, I'm praying that you are serving each other, but also you are serving other people, using your home, using the, the, the support that you have as a married couple to bless other people. And in the same way, single people, I encourage and implore you to use this time that you have now for the kingdom of God and his purposes. I look at my diary sometimes, and we have a shared diary on our phones, and I look at it, and we're in this family um, group thing, and whatever Enching puts in, I see. I'm just thinking, wow, that wasn't here yesterday. And I see kind of my life almost mapped out. There is like structure which is provided because we have two kids, and there is complexity in life that comes because I'm married to a wonderful woman. She's out the back, good. And, um, and, and she helps organize things, but my diary isn't just this blank piece of paper where I can just drop things and just go and help somebody out or do this or do that. And one of the greatest gifts that we have as single people, um, I'm not saying that we are organized, but I'm saying that one of the gifts you have is that you have the less worldly troubles that I have, if I can kindly put it that way. I don't have, to, I'm, I'm called as a husband to love my wife as if it is my own body. That means when she has a toothache, I have a toothache. That means when she's um, working through things, I'm called to come alongside her and to honor and to love her and support her. When my kids are having troubles, I'm responsible. God's given me that responsibility to do those things, to enable that these people in, who God has given me to flourish. He's called me to do that outside the church, sorry, outside my immediate family as well in this church, in my roles and responsibilities. But I just don't have all that time anymore that I used to have maybe as a single person. But in this season of singleness, you have the choice to choose to serve others in the time and the energy God has given you. And I pray that would land well, because this season may well be a singleness, may be one that is only temporary, may be something that's going to come later on, but use it well. Use it well to serve and to honor. So we've talked about the lie of singleness. We've talked about the truth of singleness. Let's talk about the mission of singleness. God has called each one of us, everybody, whether you're married, single, to be married, going to be married, have been married, he's called you to a mission. And, and one of um, Clive spoke about this last week, that seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Our goal and our heart must be to serve the Lord Jesus, to, make, to enable people to come who are outside of this community right now in, bring others into that community. And that takes time, it takes energy, it takes um, loving kindness and servanthood to bring people into that place. 
So whether you're married, whether you're single, Jesus has called you, you as an individual, as a person, to point people not to the wonderful picture of marriage, not to necessarily just people to just you know, show that, you know, that being single is okay, but actually he's called you to unite themselves with Jesus as well. Jesus' calling for each one of us is that we might find our hope, we might find our satisfaction, our intimacy, our life, our mission, everything that we would hope to find in a life partner. God has actually called us to find it in Jesus. So in your marriages, are you living in a way that draws people towards Jesus? In your singleness, are you living in such a way that your hopes and your desires for intimacy are found in the person of Jesus? Because this is what Christianity is. It's not just following a few rules. It's not just trying to do better in life. It is calling you to the person of Jesus, who's the only person who could satisfy every desire. If we choose to try and find those satisfactions in an earthly spouse or a husband or wife, then we will fail. We will find that they will fall short and that we will be dissatisfied. And they're not bad things, sorry, they're not trying to be little marriages and, and, and life partners, but ultimately we are called to find our truth and hope and fulfillment in the person of Jesus alone. If you're married, your mission is to illustrate to the world that Jesus loves his church, just in the same way that you are loving your wife. If you are single, your mission and purpose is to go beyond yourself and to find yourself that Christ ultimately is your spouse. He is the one who's the lover of your soul, the one who would never leave you or forsake you, the one who said on the cross, my God, my God, why did you abandon me? He hung on the cross, separated from the Father, so that you might never feel that weight that you would be ever abandoned again. That is what the gospel does. The gospel takes the life of Jesus and makes it ours. It shows us that we don't need an earthly human being to create us and make us whole. We need the creator. We need the Father. We need the Son to come and invade our lives and to take root and to make us whole as we were created to be. Now, as we just close, as we think about singleness and our seasons of singleness, whether you are in it right now, whether it's something that will be a reality in your future, during those times when you're alone, when you feel that loneliness, when you feel that sense that everyone else is moving on, but I'm here. The questions will come again. Has God, has God got this right? This is too hard right now. Why would he not give me the spouse or the family of my dreams? Doesn't God want what's best for me? Jesus, I say, would say this. He would say, look at my life. Look what I came to do. Jesus would say, come, look what I did, my child. Look what I did. I left heaven. I left the perfect relationship, the perfect environment with me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together, and I became a man. I chose the cross so that you would never have to experience abandonment, but I've united you now with God the Father.
for all ever and eternity. And I would encourage you, that is what Jesus would help us to find this morning, that we can find that relationship, that longings that we long for right now in a human relationship, even though it's not ours right now, we would find it in Jesus, and that we would testify to the world that he that is in us is greater. But what else can we do as a church, as a community? What else can we do to affirm singleness? Because I think this is where this is the church rises up. This is where we choose to actually go, you know what? I acknowledge that there are singles in my community. There are singles who are valued and honored and loved in the same way as he val- God values and honors marriage couples. And I want to pray that as a church, we would be that community. We would be that community that actually goes, you know what? Let's honor them. And I want to share these three things that may be able to be helpful stepping stones for us this morning as a community. One thing would be to include. Include. Maybe you are um, a married couple right now with a family, and, and you have the next 48 hours of your lives planned out, or the next uh, 14 days of your life planned out, because your wife's really organized with a planner and knows exactly when kids need to be picked up and everything else. Make time and include and reach out and invite singles into your life. Receive that blessing of what they bring. Care for them. Don't cling on to your little family unit alone, but invite others in. Let's be that community that acknowledges the widowed, the divorced, young people, married. Let's make time in our diaries. Let's welcome and invite. For those who are unmarried, I would pray, and I hope that you receive this, but I would say that Paul would say this, Relax. 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 God, if he is God, who loves you, who you can trust, who has your best interests at heart in whatever season, would say you can relax because I've got you in the palm of my hand. I have you exactly where I need you to be right now. As you are, Remain as you are. I have you. We can make choices, that means, that take time. Life choices, such as a partner or a spouse. We don't have to rush into the first person we meet who says hello to us. I'm talking about young people here. When the first boy who says hello, we don't have to suddenly fall in love with that person. I have to tell this to my kids, um, my teenage girls. But, you know, we don't have to because we can relax because God has our life in his hands. All my days are written into the book of life. I can relax. I can make decisions that invite other people's wisdom in. I don't need to make rash choices. God, would you give me people to help me to make those decisions that matter for life? Invite wisdom in. And I'll say that, yeah. Simply, let's invite wise counsel into our lives. Let's invest in our young people. Right now, you know, I've been involved in youth ministry now for quite a few years. And one of the joyful things is when my girls get to that age, that there will be people who would come alongside them and be wise counsel to them. I can do that with my, as a dad, but people who come alongside them, who would love them and say, you know what, you're a young girl. I would want to bring wise counsel, mentor you, honor you by serving you in this way as an unmarried person. We need that as a community. And that's what the community of the church gives us that community that speaks in and receives wise counsel from each other. And last thing I would want to say for us here who are married 
or unmarried, is get involved. Get involved in the kingdom. Let's use our freedom. Let's use our energy. Let's use what God has given to us, whatever season, whether we're single, whether our status is married. Let's use that to leverage the things for his kingdom because that is what ultimately matters. That true joy is not found in me, myself, and my family. It is found in loving and serving the Lord and pleasing him. That is where true joy is found, in loving service. And we can testify to that. At the end of my days, I have not wasted any season of my life. I leveraged my singleness, the time I had. I leveraged my marriage. I leveraged my widowhood. I leveraged everything so that Jesus might be lifted up and his name would be lifted high. Can we pray this morning? Father, I just thank you so much that all of us go through seasons in life that you know about, that you are intimately involved in right now. And Father, I thank you that as a church community, we get to share the joys, we get to share the highs, but we also get to share the lows. And we get to come alongside each other and love each other as you have called us to love. So I pray, Lord Jesus, for our married couples and our families here in this church. May they be strong. May they glorify and represent who you are. Just in the way, Jesus, that you love the church. May husbands love their wives. And may wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to you, Jesus. And for my single friends here, whichever season they're in right now, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know what it means to be single. And I pray, Lord, we would have that heart as a community to love, to honor, to actively affirm, and to reach out and to invite in that, Jesus, you would be seen as enough. You would be enough, that you would satisfy us in the deepest places, and that you, Lord Jesus, would be lifted high. Help us as a community, I pray, to be sensitive and to honor each other and to love as you've caused to love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.